Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. So, <laughs> here we are then. Welcome to the second week of March. If you're a parent, you'll be celebrating the return of your children to school this morning, albeit that they might be forced to wear grotesque masks and undergo invasive tests despite having nothing wrong with them. I predict total chaos. We'll be talking about that this morning, uh, but much else besides, of course, as well. Because not every parent is waking up this morning with a spring in their step. Imagine, for example, if you're Prince Charles. You'll be reading about how one of your two sons has thrown not only you, but your mother, the monarch of this land, under a giant bus driven by a Hollywood tour guide for the sake of fame and fortune. That's right, the Herbert, formerly known as Prince Harry, has allowed his craven, ghastly and frankly narcissistic wife to make phony allegations, insinuations and downright falsehoods about the family that has nurtured him, raised him and given him life. Of course, the Americans are eating it up, as are the enemies of Britain. But how about a few other questions? For example... Here's what I would have asked Prince Harry. Does your wife have any intention of introducing you or your son to her father? Or perhaps this. Did your wife force three different royal staff out of their jobs after bullying them at Kensington Palace? Or how about this one? Do you care about the pain you're causing to the Queen as she worries about the health of her husband Prince Philip currently in hospital for the third week in a row? And what about this one? Are you worried that once you are of no more use to her that she will dump you the same way she has dumped everyone else in her life? How about that, Has? Any questions that you could answer there? 0344 499 1000. The hagiography that took place last night uh, in the £1 million garden of a £16.5 million house uh, in Montecito, California with Oprah Winfrey, a billionaire, talking to two millionaires about their struggles. I mean, give me a small break. Apparently Hazza is annoyed that he was cut off by the family and left with nothing but his £30 million trust fund. And now his dad doesn't take his calls. I wouldn't take his bloody calls either, to be honest. The horrible Harrys appear to be upset because Megs couldn't be queen. That's about it, isn't it? Harry, Harry, you said I could be queen. Why can I not be queen, Harry? Why? Who's this cake woman? I want to be queen. I want it. I want to be queen. 
We're joined this morning by Baroness Kate Hurry, Mail on Sunday columnist Peter Hitchens, Royal author Angela Levin, plus commentators Dawn Neeson and Emma Webb as well. 0344 499 1000. Meanwhile, we want to hear from all of you as well, because it is a big day uh, for people living ordinary lives in ordinary situations who are actually really struggling uh, because their children are going back to school for the first time uh, in a couple of months. I'd love to know what you're being told. I'd love to know what the kids are being told. And I'd love to know if they're being forced to wear masks all day. And if so, what are you doing about it? You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Et voila, as they say in France. Now, there's lots to talk about this morning with Kate Howey, but Kate Baroness Howey, of course, of Lyle Hill and Rathlin, uh, non-affiliated peer from the House of Lords, former Labour MP, former head of sports uh, in uh, the Mayor's office in London where Boris Johnson was running it. Kate, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. That now, was we... a lovely, lovely introduction. There's nothing more needs to be said. Well, that's it, really, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> I have to start with Harry and Meghan, purely and simply because you're a woman uh, whose, whose opinion I respect. Uh, you're a woman who knows a thing or two about the royal family. Um, you've served this nation uh, as, a, as an MP and now in the House of Lords. I mean, this is an absolute travesty what's going on, isn't it? I'm, you know, words almost fail me. I just think it's so shocking. And, you know, the irony of the whole thing is that there they were, they left the royal family, they left the country because they wanted privacy. Yes. And all they've done since they left is get huge amounts of, of publicity in America. Only this time, of course, in America, they can get paid for it. So yes. I think, the, you know, I think the financial thing is, is something to do it a little Really, Harry doesn't. They don't need the money. But I, I do. I just so think that some of the the nasty things that were said, you know, there is no evidence of any of this. And the the, the royal family in Buckingham Palace historically don't come out and comment. You know, that's how Her Majesty has gone through all these years mm. in a very dignified way without ever trying to, you know, come out and immediately go uh, um, speak out about something that the papers have said because the newspapers do are they're very interested in the royal family and so there's always little snippets and this time somehow some of the things that um, Megan said in particular and it'll be interesting I haven't obviously seen it but watching tonight whether when Prince Harry comes in does she ask him anything about what Megan has said hmm. you know she doesn't I don't think asked about the that ridiculous thing about the um, you know someone asking about the the, the colour of the. I, I of simply the didn't. I just simply did I not believe, believe that. I don't believe, I don't it. believe it. I think. Either. I think she's causing trouble for the sake of I it. I mean, people people speculate, don't they, about oh goodness, I wonder will they look like the father? I wonder they look like the mother? Yeah. You know, people do speculate about a baby. How big is it going to be? Is it going to be like you know your cousin and all that kind of right. thing? And so all all of that. But if if someone wants to make something out of that to be. Um, uh, derogatory, then then they'll do it. Yeah, exactly and she's right. Done it. But to do it and to then not do it the whole way by naming the person who supposedly said it, I'm afraid casts for me a great deal of doubt on the fact that anybody ever said it at all. Yes, I think she has interpreted something, perhaps, or you know, and exaggerated it. I, I, I find the whole. I just hope, to be honest, I hope that they have to get rid of their titles completely. Because they really I'm sure do. That, I mean, that's what the Americans love—the titles—and yeah. that's what the Americans are, are obviously wanting to bring them in. And I think it'll, it'll. I said at the very beginning, and I'm not just making this up. Some lots of people will tell you. I said, although it was a wonderful wedding and everyone enjoyed it, and the, the media was so friendly and nice, and it was all lovely. But I just got that feeling that you, you know, this will end in tears. Yes. It just seemed uh, reminding me so much of of the, um, you know, not that I was 
very conscious of it at the time, but the whole um, question of the, um, you know, Prince Edward, mm. or, uh, King Edward and, and, and the abdication. And Wallace Simpson it, and all that. All yeah. of Wallace Simpson, the American idea that, and the Americans have a very different attitude, don't they, to us. But I, I, I hope Her Majesty comes, I and mean, she will come through this last night. We yeah. saw her very... I thought speech. I thought her speech uh, on the Commonwealth was magnificent as ever. I thought yeah. Prince Charles actually was fantastic as well. And in fact, it's not something perhaps that I would normally have watched, but I watched uh, with more added interest, I suppose, last no. night um, to the Commonwealth show, and I, I really enjoyed it. Well, you see, the Commonwealth is now because we're now no longer in the European Union. I mean, many people look looking back when we joined the Common Market, and there was the vote to stay in two years later. That it was a real selling out of the Commonwealth. Mm. You know, we sold, we stopped buying from Australia, and a lot of the a lot of countries suffered very much when we left uh, when we joined the Common Market. So I think the Commonwealth now is a huge, um, it's, it's a hugely important part of our future trading as well because many of those commonwealth countries particularly in asia are they you know the the, the, the economies that are growing and um and, and i think it's it's a very very and the queen has always always made it so important mm. in the whole royal family's life so i hope i hope um you know i'm sure the country will rally round and will not uh, there will be obviously some people who will love all this yes. particularly some of the media who are just sort of like to have a go at the country and therefore the royal family. Yes. But, um, well, it slightly I, troubles me the way some of this is being reported, as if it is a fact that she has made this claim. And I find that quite distasteful, actually, and I wish they wouldn't do it. But you'll remember, Kate, when um, Princess Diana died and, and I was working at Fleet Street at the time, there was an awful lot of kind of a Republican fervour around the way that the Queen and the royal family behaved, wasn't there? Because remember, they were all up in Balmoral. They refused to fly the flag at half-mast down in London. And a lot changed in that period. And Alistair Campbell, um, you'll remember, was very much part of that whole kind of Blairite movement. They saw a chance that they might be able to get rid of the royal family, and they kind of capitalised on it. Um, I don't see that happening this time at all. Um, but I was talking to somebody this morning who said, I think this is a bigger interview in some ways, uh, in terms of what they're saying about the royal family, than Diana's one was with Martin Bashir. Yes, well, Diana's one was very personal, wasn't yeah. it, about her own personal uh, relationship with, with uh, Prince Charles. Mm. Uh, uh, and, of course, people had known for some time that that relationship wasn't very good. But, I mean, none of us know what goes on in relationships, do we? We can, we can speculate. Um, and it's, it's, it's a bit like, you know, when divorces happen, there's yeah. always who's, who's to blame, which right. one. Uh, but I think, I think um, Her Majesty will... You know, I'm sure they're her advisors, and, and actually, after all the years that she's been been the, our head of state, I'm sure she listens to her own advice. Actually, mm. she probably her own instinct will be to um, treat this in a in a very dignified way and not respond to every bit of tittle tattle. Mm. And uh, unless, of course, some of the, the palace staff who allegedly were bullied by um, Meghan mm. will actually come out and make themselves known publicly. But I. I probably doubt that will happen. I imagine the palace's view on that will be we'd rather you didn't do that uh, because it will bring more kind of opprobrium down on, on the organisation itself. But, you know, they can't be allowed to just kind of roam freely around the world, cartwheeling uh, in the back of their £16.5 million garden uh, and just throwing mud whenever they feel like it, can they? No, no. And, you know, it's it's... Let's not forget in America, it's the title, it's the prince and prince, you know, it's that's the prince stuff that actually they love. The Americans love the whole, yeah. uh, although they're, you know, can be critical of it, they love it all. And if they were to lose their 
official titles. And uh, after a little while, you know, the the magic of them will 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 rub off. Mm. And I, I just feel very sorry because I did I did like Harry, and I felt very much that Prince Harry was someone who was you know he was he was different. He was the second son, so he knew he wasn't going to be king. But just his his whole his whole way of behaving seemed to change when mm. he met her. But well, there she's, we are. she's done to to him what many uh, people have done to them, sometimes by a man, sometimes by a woman. But you've probably known people, as I have, Kate, um, who have got together with someone and then you never see them again. And, you know, they did yeah. basically disappear from the scene altogether. Um, and they only ever get seen in the company of that person. And that person seems to control exactly what they do, what they say, what they think. And then you never really get back the relationship that you had with them until such time as they break up with that person. Yes, because they, one or other, becomes the dominant uh, sort of party in, mm. in the relationship, or usually it seems that. But you know, you look back. Do you remember Her Majesty took uh, Meghan on the, the royal train overnight when they went to visit Chester shortly yeah. after she'd come into the royal family? And you know that was unprecedented. And the idea that somehow she wasn't welcomed—I mean, no. she wasn't. She was welcomed, but she wanted to change and do presumably what she thought she could do as a princess. And you know, I mean, that doesn't work. And I'm surprised that she she hadn't... Well, I think she did realise uh, what she was going into, but she went into it because, um, well, who knows, for all the reasons. Yeah. It's, but it as you gets say, a bit the... boring, doesn't it, after a while, talking about them? <laughs> well, as somebody said, you know, forget about um, Anna's horribilis. This is Harry's horribilis or yeah. Har horribilis or something like that. But, I mean, the Queen's been through, you know, the Second World War. She's been through the death of her father when she was quite young. She's been thrust into the limelight. Uh, she's going through now currently dealing with Prince Philip. She's dealt with the whole, you know, James Hewitt and all of those kind of, you know, stories about Princess Diana at the time and the different men that she was seeing. Camilla, the whole, you know, the squidgy tapes. I mean, it's been an incredible amount of scandal over the years. But she's yeah. still the Queen and she still comes out of it smelling like roses. And she comes, she still is uh, the most popular monarch probably we've ever had. And she is someone who is absolutely dedicated to her whole, you know, as she said when she was 21, her whole life dedicated to to people and to the country. And, uh, you know, I think while she, I, I just think it's particularly unfortunate because obviously um, the, uh, the Duke of Edinburgh being hospital is must be very very worrying yes. and once again you know with with covid and everything they haven't been able to act they would have the way they would have normally too so we i think today the vast majority of the british public will be thinking and sending their thoughts and good wishes to her majesty the queen and certainly not to prince harry and meghan no, I think that's absolutely right. Let's talk a little bit about your um, uh, legal challenge to this government, because obviously uh, we don't want to be completely consumed by uh, those ghastly uh, former members of the royal family. Uh, you have joined up with, uh, I think it's uh, Ben Habib, Lord Trimble as well, um, and uh, others to challenge the Northern Ireland Protocol. Tell us what that means. Yes. Yes, Ben Habib, who was a former MEP and has taken a great interest in Northern Ireland, uh, and um, Jim Allister, who was the leading member of the one of the unionist parties in Northern Ireland, mm. decided that we couldn't allow the constitutional uh, basis of how the relationship of Northern Ireland and the rest of the United Kingdom had changed. So we would go for a judicial review and we wanted to get the other unionist parties on board. And Lord Trimble, of course, who was one of the... Um, the really key people in terms of the Belfast Good Friday Agreement. So we lodged our papers and uh, there will be a, probably a, a decision 
in the next week or so as to whether we'll be allowed to go ahead. Mm. I, that's always the first issue, but I don't think there'll be any, uh, I don't think there'll be a problem with that. And we're basically saying that the Act of Union of 1800 and the Belfast Agreement, Good Friday Agreement, have been broken by the protocol mm. because it divides Northern Ireland uh, away from the United Kingdom's single market and it divides our country constitutionally from the United Kingdom. So it's a it's a constitutional issue. I mean, obviously, a lot of the publicity has gone to the trading stuff. And some of those things, the technical details, some of them have been slightly fixed. I mean, we're now allowed to bring British soil into Northern Ireland yes. again. I um, saw you mentioned that in your piece in the Telegraph, as if it was a kind of, you know, it does, well, it does for a lot of people, it does seem like a kind of a side issue, but it's quite important, isn't it? Ridiculous little things like that that mm. we were finding. Now, of course, that hasn't ended for good because what the United Kingdom government did quite rightly, in my view, was when they didn't get any movement from the European Union, they decided to go ahead and do it themselves. So they issued the statement saying that they would not, they wouldn't be checking uh, certain things anymore and that they would allow certain things to come in. But it's all only temporary. So it, it might get over a, a little bit of the problems at the moment, mm. but long term, it's not going to be uh, you know, sustainable that, uh, to keep the protocol. And I think what we need, of course, is what the government is obviously very concerned about is the European Union still haven't ratified the Trade and Cooperation Bill. Mm. And the European Parliament is, is playing, even before this action of, on the protocol, the European Parliament were playing it very making it difficult they kept postponing when it would be ratified so i think there is a concern about that uh however we you know we feel very strongly in northern ireland people are very angry very very angry indeed because the belfast agreement has been definitely broken because the, the issue of consent nothing was to change without people in northern ireland agreeing to it and now our status has changed yeah. we are sort of second class citizens almost in the united kingdom right and you said to me before kate that we could fix this problem if boris johnson simply had the will to do so um, do you think he's just sort of hoping it's going to go away because he doesn't seem to have done anything really uh, since well, this was first raised well he has put david frost in now uh, um, the new lord frost mm. Took his, made his maiden speech last week. He now is in charge of the, um, the future relationship with the European Union and is therefore chairing, co-chairing with the European Union, the joint committee. But it was that joint committee that um, Arlene Foster, the leader of the DUP, who attended it uh, just about 10 days ago, mm. said that the European Union were, were being very belligerent. You know, they didn't want to make any changes so ultimately i think our government has to show that they're prepared to stand up for people in the united kingdom and that means people in northern ireland mm. so there, there, there are changes that could be made but it needs to go and we need to get back to a, a sensible debate about how how much real risk there is to the single market you know the european union single market because that's what this is all about the mm. european union saying oh dear we couldn't possibly have one bit of tins of baked beans come into our our, our, our EU, i.e. into the Republic, um, you know, if, if, if it hasn't had the proper mm. certificate of checking and all of that. So, you know, these are things that are not just little technical difficulties. It's a political issue. It mm. has to be solved politically. And ultimately, the Prime Minister will have to accept that this was, this was signed up to, maybe understandably because they were desperate to get the agreement and to get out of the European Union. But this bit cannot be ignored yeah. and we'll have to go back to it. Yeah, they can't just fudge it, basically, is what you're saying. And finally, um, Kate, what's the status now of the lockdown in uh, in Northern Ireland, where you are? Is well, it schools back it's, today? 
uh, only only P uh, pre nursery and P one to three. Um, no, we're not, and we're not we're not moving very quickly. And indeed, the the uh, document that the executive produced last week is not giving any definitive dates or any idea really mm. of how long different things and we've got a few little things happening like click and collect is allowed to start again right. but overall it's a it's very very depressing and people are getting very very angry and there was an incident last night where of course um rangers yeah very i'm very happy to say one after 10 years <laughs> won the scottish championships and of course there are a lot of support in northern ireland and parts of belfast yeah. for rangers and there, a lot of people came out on the streets celebrating now you know that wouldn't have happened in the first lockdown no it really wouldn't and i think what we're seeing now is people just looking at the statistics you know the deaths of very very low to perhaps a day very unfortunate but two or three mm. the numbers of people in hospital have gone down and people are beginning to say look this is just getting ridiculous yeah. now we really want to get back to a form of normality we'll never get back initially to real normality but there is a way of getting back to being able to just live our lives in a way that is not so depressing for people and young people in particular and students who are just so fed up with it yes. all no absolutely so, right here we are yeah we need to get and masks in school i mean i just think masks in schools ridiculous because children we i mean I, even if I, when i'm in a situation where i have to wear my mask all the time you know there are seconds when something happens and you move or you take it off the idea that you know 30 children are going to sit for six hours in a school wearing their mask oh. It's just well, not. I find it ridiculous. Right? I mean, I was getting petrol yesterday, for example. You have to put it on to go into the petrol station, right? I was buying a couple of bottles of wine, as you do, uh, on the way home. And I, I, the guy said something to me. I answered him. He couldn't hear me because he's not only wearing a mask and I'm wearing a mask, but there's a piece of perspex between the two of us, yeah. you know, and he it's ridiculous. You. And then I've got, a, I've got a, a, you know, an Apple, a, 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 an iPhone, which I use to pay for things, but it does facial recognition. So I have to take the mask off anyway so I can recognise my face. And I'm going, what are we doing here? This is I know, a joke, isn't I know, it? I know. Well, I think I think something has to change sooner. Otherwise, people are just going to take it into their own hands as yeah. they're beginning to do. I think that's absolutely right. Baroness Ho, delightful to talk to you. As ever, voice of common sense, common sense and reason. Baroness Ho of Lyle Hill and Rathlin uh, over there in Northern Ireland. I mean, it really does beg a belief. Everything beggars belief this morning to me. You know, the idea that somehow it's a moral duty, according to some schools, for the children to wear masks all day for seven hours. Absolute and utter nonsense. Uh, the idea that somehow the royal family was asking racist questions to Meghan Markle, but she can't name the person that said it because she wouldn't want to get them into trouble. She just wants to get them into trouble by not saying it. I don't believe a word of what she said. I think Harry should be ashamed of himself. A man who once was the heir to the throne of this great country of ours, who's now not even able to phone his own father, who won't take his calls. I don't blame him. I wouldn't take him either. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We've had a fascinating first hour. Let's talk now to Peter Hitchens, Man on Sunday columnist, and have another fascinating hour. Peter, a very good morning to you. Morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Now, um, I know that um, you probably won't particularly want to dwell upon the ghastly nature of this interview over in California, but I know that you will have been a keen observer of the kind of Republican side of the Blair government when um, I was at the Express. I think you still were as well during the time when Princess Diana died. And there was an awful lot of game playing going on between Campbell, Blair uh, and others who thought they saw an opportunity to turn that into a sort of movement uh, to get rid of the royal family. I don't see that happening here, do you? No, but of course we're many, many steps further down the long staircase to abolishing the monarchy, which I think is uh, 
uh, is now something well, uh, much, much closer than most people would have thought uh, 20 years ago. Mm. And this kind of thing, whatever you think about it, uh, is bound to do damage. And one of the ways in which it will do damage, I think, is that the, the, the current reign inevitably has to end. Uh, let us hope not for a long time. But when it does, the huge personal popularity of the Queen will no longer stand between the monarchy and its enemies. Mm. And there are many of those enemies, and a lot of them are not open about their enmity. I, the, certainly the upper echelons of the Labour Party under Blair, I would very much doubt whether the single convinced monarchist uh, anywhere to be found there. They'll mouth support for the monarchy, mm. but I don't think they really believe in it. Right. And, of course, there is the other great danger coming from the, the, the Commonwealth countries such as Australia, where, again, I think that the, a movement for a republic uh, will emerge uh, soon after the next reign begins, and that could well find ways of coming back to the home country. So I think the monarchy does face a huge crisis, and one of its problems is that it, it is very, very hard to reconcile a monarchy to the modern world, as I think we saw last night. Yes, I think that's right. And and as you say, the enemies of, of monarchy in general uh, will feast on this um, and will pick away at it for, for weeks and weeks and months and months and all of that uh, uh, that will go on. And, and, and certainly when the question comes, should Prince Charles be the next king, um, there will be a lot of argument about why he shouldn't be and why it should go straight to William, presumably. Well, this has been said a lot by people who I think are fundamentally opposed to the monarchy as such. If the, it's the law that makes the monarchy the monarchy, and, if the, and the law of succession is quite clear, uh, if you skip a generation, then you're defying that law. You're basically undermining the principle of the thing itself. Mm. And once you start doing that, then the rest can go pretty quickly. I just don't think there's any particular understanding of monarchy. There's, there's some, there's some sort of sentimental liking for the royal family sometimes when they behave themselves according to, uh, to, to certain rules and when people feel like liking them. But that's not enough. You have to understand the point of monarchy, which, in my view, is fundamentally to keep uh, certain things out of the hands of politicians. You don't want politicians uh, standing before great parades of the armed forces. You don't want politicians taking the salute or riding in... In, in fancy carriages before the crowds. You don't want them in general becoming uh, the sort of autocratic figures which monarchs used to be and are no longer. The, the monarch, as I've said many times, is like the, the king on a chessboard. Very little power in its own right, but it keeps other other pieces off those important squares. Once it's gone, uh, the chances of the of, of politicians muscling in on those ceremonial and self-glorificatory areas of life, of starting to, to, to preen themselves and become more autocratic are very great. And I think that it's quite interesting uh, to note that uh, most of the longest surviving law-governed free countries in the world are constitutional monarchies. And it's quite hard to find torture chambers in countries which are constitutional monarchies and quite easy to find them in mm. republics. Yes, I think that's very true. Not in this particular republic, of course. But what about the uh, the press and the way... Well, we don't know, Mike. I, know. <laughs> I can assure you, I'd be happy to, to allow anyone in to have a look around. Um as far as the press is concerned, I was listening to a debate the other night about this and, and the sort of the effective weakening of the media in this country. And I know people don't agree with me when I say this, but I think in terms of the royal family, you know, when, when, when you and I were both working in the press uh, together, there was a much more strong sense that the press kind of controlled the royal family rather than the other way around. But now with Harry and Meghan, 
the press is much less important, isn't it? And I mean, I mean incredibly, this judge who keeps giving uh, uh, awards to her, uh, including making the Mail on Sunday put a front page apology up, which seems extraordinary to me, um, is the fact that the press is no longer an influence, perhaps, on them uh, important? Well, the press is, is, is less powerful anyway. And a lot of people don't like the press and they have, in some cases, good reason not to like it because it's a, it's a, it's a hard to control and hard to like beast. But mm. the point is that in any society where you have a strong independent press, you have a, a, a power which actually helps to create and sustain freedom. And as the press has grown weaker uh, commercially and in terms of circulation visibly in our lifetimes, it seems to me we've become less of a free country. And the, uh, an awful lot more opinion is now controlled by the, the, to me, rather creepy algorithms of the, of the big tech giants who decide more and more what we can hear and what we can see and what we can think and d direct people in, in certain ways. And there was something, it's to me, very valuable in, in a strong, independent, diverse press, some of it on the left, some of it on the right, mm. which has been lost. I think the monarchy also has got very tired uh, of, uh, of the way in which it was treated and has abandoned what at the time was a sensible policy of never getting involved in these brawls and spats. But I think the Diana event was a revolution mm. in our country and it changed relations between the monarchy and the public, uh, the, 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 the monarchy and the press, the monarchy and, uh, and, and parliaments and politicians, totally and irreversibly. Yeah. It, it, we, we keep going through these revolutions and people don't actually realise how much has been changed by them because no one announces we've had a revolution. Lenin doesn't move into Buckingham Palace, but th there has been a big change. And part of it uh, has been achieved by very, very uh, dedicated radicals who took over the Labour Party and came to power in 1997 mm. and continue in many ways to be in power because they then took over the Conservative Party. Well, yes, and they also took over, as I think you've pointed out before, many of the great sort of institutions of this country, whether they be um, uh, academic institutions, the civil service. You know, these, these are all sort of, they used to talk about Thatcher's children. These are all Blair's children, aren't they? Well, yes, but in some ways both, because Thatcher was very interested in economics and money. And personally, I've no doubt she was a patriot and a Christian and all kinds of things, but her government was not in any way socially or politically or morally conservative about education or the family or any of those things. And so she prepared the way for Blairism. And so as Harold Wilson did as well with his great cultural revolution in, in, uh, under Roy Jenkins mm -hmm. in the 60s, it's been a long, long process. But the, the real, the, the really radical bit of it, particularly the, the beginnings of huge constitutional change, uh, were, were undertaken by the Blair government. People don't understand. I still remember colleagues of mine on the Daily Express, uh, 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 very conservative-minded people, saying to me in the late 1990s, oh, Tony Blair, he's the best conservative prime minister we ever had. And I, I looked at these people in despair. I said, how can you not see uh, what they're really up to? Of course, the reason why they couldn't see is, is unlike me, they had no experience of revolutionary politics. They couldn't recognize mm -hmm. the codes or the language. But Blair, this is a fascinating thing, uh, Blair was himself a Trotskyist at Oxford, a fact which he concealed successfully throughout his period as leader of the opposition and yeah. prime minister for long years after. If people had known that in 1997, what would they have thought? Yeah. But when it actually came out uh, on a, in a BBC Radio 4 interview quite prominently with Peter Hennessy, it didn't appear in any newspaper at all. It was as if people uh, had decided it didn't compute with the, with the idea that they had a Blair, therefore mm. they were not going to, not going to accept it. A huge number of, and this is public knowledge, I've written about it in a lengthy article for, 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 for the Mail on Sunday, a huge number of Blair's uh, cabinet 
uh, were themselves supposedly ex-Marxist members of or associates of Trotskyist or communist organizations. Mm. And those are the ones we know about. And it, the, the, the more you look at it, the more you think how peculiar it is. And the, the radicalism of Blair was not about nationalizing the Winkle industry. It, it was about education and mm. about the family, about abo abolishing the, the status of fatherhood and the, the word husband, mm. uh, about making sure the schools continue to be egalitarian, about the Equality Act, which, which would basically turn this country into a politically correct country by law. Mm. All these things were done, and, and, and because they came individually and, and people didn't see any sense of them, the, the, the recognition, once again, that we underwent and are still undergoing a revolution is still hardly, hardly to be found at all. People don't realise what's been going yeah. on. And there were plenty the of clues, weren't there? Said, there were loads of clues. I mean, they had this sort of evergreen relationship with the word people, which at the time I never really thought about. And as you say, not very many people did. But they had their famously their party on election night when they won in 1997 was at the People's Palace. You know, they talked about Princess Diana being the people's princess. You know, they tried to get the word people into as many things as possible. They talked about the project as if it was some kind of, you know, communist manifesto. And when, as you've pointed out before, the streets were lined in Downing Street with people who we thought were genuinely actually fans of Tony Blair getting elected when it turned out they were all actually employed by the Labour Party. We all fell for it. It was completely stationary. That, that clip of those people standing in Downing Street waving Union Jacks is still shown yeah. as if it were a genuine event. It keeps cropping up in archive. Hardly anybody ever says, I did once in a programme, I did, I managed to get it in. Hardly anybody says this is a staged right. event because the people there couldn't have got into Downing Street without right. permission. Closed. Yeah, but at and the I'm, time, we all kind of went, isn't this great? Well, isn't it great no, to be born into... All, I didn't, but I mean, a lot of people did do. <laughs> well, yeah. most people did. Yeah, they did. And it's and, and people still fought for it. But the I remember there was, I think it was in the Labour Manifesto in 97, that uh, the New Labour said they were the political arm of the British people as a whole. Yeah. Amazing claim. Uh, completely untrue. Uh, but that's that's what they that's what they said. I, I just think that the radicalism of New Labour, which then turned into a huge assault on the Conservative Party in the late 90s and the early parts of this century, bludgeoning and clubbing the Conservative Party until it accepted Blairism, after which, when David Cameron became the leader of the Conservative Party as a Blairite mm. and as an open admirer of Blair, the Conservative Party was allowed by the BBC to, to, uh, to back into the company of civilised life and was treated once again as if, it, as if it was a proper party, having been exiled and, and, and treated with contempt for all the intervening years. And after that, the Conservative Party came back into politics. The Conservative Party, yes, is Blairite. This IRA business, which, which sparked my latest yes. article about Roy Greenslade. Uh, remember, uh, Claire Fox, uh, whose support for the so-called armed struggle in Ireland is, is, is pretty much as, 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 as strong as that of Mr. Greenslade, former editor of the Daily Mirror. Well, Claire Fox is now is now in the House of Lords, put there by one Alexander Boris Pleffel Johnson. Uh, so that it's 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 not confined to the Labour Party. This extraordinary attitude uh, towards uh, well, the, the towards the IRA, which Greenslade has now openly avowed. A lot of people suspected it for a long time. Anyway, he's openly avowed it. I remember as a revolutionary student in the 1970s, a particular organization, the International Marxist Group, uh, would, would go around shouting victory to the IRA on yeah. demonstrations. Even then, I was a Bolshevik, but even, I, even then I found that disgusting. Uh, and it, But they did, and I, the, quite a large number of the people who found their way into Blair's cabinet are former associates of that International Marxist Group. And do you suspect that that may have had some kind of bearing on how the Good Friday Agreement was drawn up then? 
Well, it's certainly the case that uh, it looked very much to me as if in, back in 1997-98 uh, that Sinn Féin were dragging their feet uh, with John Major, who mm. would probably have given them pretty much the same deal because uh, they thought they would get more uh, out of a Blair government than they would out of the Tories. I think that that, that may, may have been the opportunity. But the, the truth is that the, the, the British government's surrender to the, to the IRA uh, is one thing. Uh, but the characterization of it as a, a great and glorious peace process is another. Uh, and the, the the loss of will in the British establishment to, to fight what, in my view, was always, a, in, not just in the case of the IRA, but also in the case of the so-called loyalist organizations, to fight these criminal terrorist gangs, uh, faded very much away in the... Uh, in, 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 really in the 80s and 90s. It's a, it's a long and complicated thing, but what is definitely the case uh, is that sympathy uh, for the IRA uh, at fairly high levels of British left-wing politics is not confined to Mr Roy Greenslade. No. Uh, he, he has at least been open about it. Well, true. But we also have the rather unedifying spectacle now of all of these um, IRA terrorists having been freed from prison and not prosecuted further, uh, some of them not prosecuted at all, whereas you've got soldiers, former soldiers from Belfast, uh, from British Army regiments, who are still being pursued uh, for claims against them. Well, that's in the nature of it. The, this, this, the so-called peace process or the Belfast Agreement or the instrument of surrender, as I call it, is that people often say, oh, it was a victory for Britain. Well, if it was a victory for Britain, why is it uh, that known former killers from the IRA are effectively amnestied, right. uh, whereas British soldiers and members of the security forces in general are still being pursued? It's an obvious sign of how that, uh, of how that agreement was, in fact, a surrender. Uh, and the because the, the the weaker party is the one which gets the worst term, doesn't it? In a surrender, it's the beaten person uh, who 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 has to accept humiliations. Mm. We have to accept the humiliation of our own soldiers being pursued in the courts. Uh, if, if any IRA person is pursued in the courts, then very rapidly that pursuit comes to an end mm. uh, because yes. we've agreed to stop doing it. And it, it's it, it's it, there's no clearer sign uh, of the of the balance of that agreement being on the side of the IRA and against Britain. Mm, absolutely right. Now, last time you and I spoke, Peter, last week, you told us about how you had kind of uh, basically given in uh, to the government's oppression uh, and you'd got the, uh, the vaccination and even though you didn't think it was worth having. A couple of people over the weekend asked me about whether you were OK because you weren't on Twitter for two days. I mean, this is the nature of the beast, unfortunately, uh, that if you take a break from something that you're normally doing, people then become worried. I mean, what, well, what I mean, I, I, have you decided to stay off it for a while? No, I'm glad they're worried. I mean, I, I have felt uh, several times, actually, over the past several months, I've uh, had to fling myself into Twitter because of the, the it, it was an incredibly useful yeah. uh, weapon uh, in the fight against the stupidity of the, of the government's action, a fight which I, I should point out here, uh, I, have, I, I pretty much began uh, alone and right. which I have not, not ceased to undertake. Uh, I haven't given in. Uh, I, I slightly uh, resent the use of that that phrase. Um, okay. Uh, I, I, I stand I, corrected I, in that case. Well, no, I never said uh, anything about the the vaccination uh, in, in terms of saying I was against it or urging other people to have it or not have it. And that's still my position. I, what I revealed was a private decision. And in the past few days, I just felt I've had I've been on this thing. It was it, 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 if you aren't careful, you. you you, you, you dive into the screen and it takes over your life. And it I, is all-consuming. I've, I've had particular reasons, uh, good ones, I might say, but particular reasons to, 
to concentrate more upon my private life. I, mm. I, 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 you might say, as um, as Arnold Schwarzenegger might say, I'll be back. Don't you worry. <laughs> I have some very interesting no. Listen, stuff. In, in that case, I have I, very I'm... interesting stuff to reveal to the world. Uh, towards the end of this week, yeah. which I, I promise you I'll, I'll, be, I'll be using Twitter for. But it, it actually, I, I, when I gave it a break, I began to enjoy giving it a break. Yeah. So I, I might extend it. It's, uh, well, funnily, funnily enough, I mean, I always, I, always, I always quote Giles Corrin on this one because Giles Corrin's had a rather interesting uh, um, sort of engagement and, and relationship with Twitter on and off. Um, and he sometimes gets himself into trouble. But he once uh, was talking on the radio about how he gave it up for a while and he realised how much time of his out of his day that it was taking. He suddenly had more time. He suddenly was able to, to talk to his children more. You know, he said, I was finding myself going for walks in the woods and, and hooking into Twitter while he's walking around. And it is incredibly addictive. Well, I, as you possibly know, I don't believe there is any such thing as addiction. You, we've, we've all got power over ourselves. And I think this is a demonstration of that. I, I decided it was taking up too much of my time. I was probably enjoying it too much. Hmm. Uh, but there were other things. I mean, eventually, I suppose, if you talk to your children too much, they start saying, hey, would you mind going back on Twitter? You <laughs> there, is you. That, there is definitely uh, that. But let's, let's... Even, even, even the people in the woods say that you've been wandering around these woods, could you mind going back on Twitter? <laughs> but right. I, just for the moment, I agree to the, 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 the children and the woods look more attractive, especially as mm. spring begins to show. No, I, it's, um, it, it was, once I tried it, I thought, hey, this is nice. Yes, absolutely. Uh, some so time, some time to yourself. Okay, well, we'll look forward to that. No Just, hurry at the moment. As no. I've got other things on my mind today. Okay, good. Just one final question quickly, Peter. Uh, the school's going back today. Um, I'm in the process of having to deal with a school because my kids are still at school. Um, and this whole mask wearing business, which is back, is now being presented as though it's some kind of moral um, sort of, uh, uh, shall we say, imperative. They can't make you wear a mask, but they are going to shame you into it. Well, I know it's there is this body called us for them. I've, I've signed their declaration, which points out that the, that the government has itself many times said that school children don't need to and shouldn't wear masks. And I, I, I've tried to have this argument about masks over and over and over again, but it has become a, a sort of shibboleth of the, of the pro-lockdown movement. And it's, it's very important to them. And I suspect that after all this is over, there will still be a lot of, a lot of moral pressure on people to wear masks. I mean, I wish you luck in resisting it, uh, but this moral pressure is hard because you, you, it puts children in the middle of it. Yeah, it does. put a child in the middle of such a battle. And they, they know that, that people, parents are going to say, oh, for goodness sake, why should I put my child, expose my child to being the only person in the class not wearing the mask? And they force people to give in in this way. And it's 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 shocking. But again, this again, like, like the other thing, this is a revolution we're going through, a revolution in which we are becoming daily less free less individual, more regimented, uh, and, and more subject to, in my view, intolerable uh, social pressures to behave in ways we don't want to. And it, this, this has happened to this country, and it's happened because I couldn't get many people to fight against it at the time before it had hardened into a fact. Back you know, a year ago, March, April, May, June, if more people had joined me in, the, in, in fighting against this, we wouldn't have this rubbish. Mm. But they didn't. So we do. So don't tell me I've given in. Uh, it was other people who gave in or didn't even fight. Mm. And those are the ones you need to blame if you start looking around for people to blame. Thanks. OK, Peter. Well said. Thank you very much indeed. Peter Hitchens, uh, good luck with the uh, staying off of Twitter for a while. But he will be back. Uh, he'll be back with us, of course, every Monday uh, at 11 o'clock because that's what we like to do. Hold up. 
One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. I had two conversations with my father um, before he stopped taking my calls. <laughs> That's a courtesy of Harpo Productions and CBS. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, I just can't believe some of this stuff, right? He stopped taking my calls. Well, so would I, mate. You know. I mean, who do you think you are? It's incredible, isn't it? Uh, it's on ITV at 9pm tonight, of course, if you wish to watch it in its full glory. I'm looking forward to the tour of the old uh, Montecito Mansion. $16.5 million buys you quite a nice little spread in that part of the world. Let's talk to Dawn Neeson, Daily Star columnist, uh, woman of uh, many, many talents, of course. Uh, also, guest panellist. Well, it's probably more like staff panellist now on Plank of the Week. Um, Harry and Megan, Dawn, we made them Planks of the Week last week. What are we going to do this week? Um, well, I think potentially it could be a, a lifetime award for them. Um, now, I have been up all night. I have watched the entire documentary. God bless you. Um, huh? God bless yeah, you. It's, it's, look, Mike, it, it is bombshell stuff. It is explosive. Yeah. Um, and it, it does go on for two hours, but it's two hours that I personally couldn't take my eyes off the screen or, or believe what I was hearing. It was literally bombshell after bombshell. Um it, it's it's really worth watching and I do hope people do watch it tonight to form their own opinion because one of the things that I will agree with Harry and Meghan on in this one is that there are so many claims and counterclaims about what goes on in the royal family that, you know, to, to hear any member talking as um, 
openly as they have is, is fascinating things. Now, the thing is, as, as Oprah Winfrey herself says, Mike, this is your truth, Megan. So give us your truth. And, and Megan does. And, you know, she is entitled to her yeah, truth. But, but, in, it's, but in and of itself, Dawn, that's cobblers, isn't it? I mean, the truth is the truth. There isn't your truth or well, my I mean, truth, the, is there? You, you know, there, there are two ways of interpreting things all the time. And but the thing is with this, my problem with this is it, you are only getting one side of the story. There is no one there to say, yes, but, you know, this happened, that happened. You know, I mean, you know, Megan's truth is that she viewed the comments about baby Archie's skin colour as racist we don't know who said these comments we don't know in what context and on the face of it we don't even yes, know if they were said dawn to be honest i don't believe them. i don't even know if they were ever said we don't i don't well, i don't believe her well this is the problem mike i mean you know we have her truth and you know i'm not i'm not detracting you know anything from the racism or the mental health issues that were raised in this but we, we need the context here we need to know the other side of the story. And I really think the royal family mm. now have to come out and, and at least put some kind of statement out because the worst thing about this, Mike, is what wasn't said. It was like, well, okay, somebody mentioned that, you know, um, that baby Archie could be too brown to be a prince. Um, but yeah, but, yeah, but I, again, I mean, you say that as though it's true. I don't know that it well, is I mean, true. This, this is this is Megan's truth. I mean, all I can tell you is what Megan's truth is at the moment because you weren't there, I wasn't. Yeah, we but I would call it. But I would prefer. We're only hearing one but, side of the story. Yeah, but I would prefer to call it a claim. What I find amazing is that nobody's reporting it as a claim. People are saying that this was said. Well, I don't know that it was said. We don't know who don't said know. it. She refuses no, to we, name we, the person. So, as far as I'm concerned, it's what she's claiming was said. Absolutely, we don't know. We don't know. What was said, only the people there at the time will know the truth about this. So call it a claim, call it her truth. But the thing is, Mike, by not naming anybody in this, she is portraying the entire royal family as racist. Yeah. It makes them sound like they're all racist. Um, and she knows and what she's doing by saying that. That's exactly what she's she, doing. She's and I mean, I can't believe, I mean, you'd have got more uh, of a hard time being questioned by Philip Schofield than Oprah Winfrey. I mean, for heaven's sake, you know, she well, goes, it, oh, so you're not going to tell us who it is? Okay. And then she just moves on. Well, I don't think I would have said well, that. Well, <laughs> it was, I mean, you know, Oprah is, I, I think, um, obviously it's a bit like marking your own homework, this, isn't it? Because yes. she was never going to be grinning and she was never going to be given a hard time. And I thought it was interesting that if you do watch it, that Oprah is very warm towards Meghan, but not so warm towards Harry, which oh, yeah. I thought was was quite interesting because most of the most of the show is Meghan talking and then Harry comes in at the last minute, right. um the, the last sort of like half hour or so to tell his truth. Yeah. Um and yeah, the, the the whole thing about not being specific. I mean she goes, look, you know, I don't want to have a go. This is Meghan talking. I don't want to have a go at William or Kate, but then really? she tells in detail the story about how allegedly um, Kate made Megan cry, uh, Megan made Kate cry about the bridesmaids fitting. Mm. And it's like, but no, that was wrong. It was actually, she made me cry. But we don't learn any more than that. Right. So the implication there is it's, you know, it's, it's your imagination runs away with you. We want to know what happened, but they don't do that. And the, there's, there's absolutely no love lost between these two these two women in any way, shape or form. Megan, when she's talking about Fergie, 
um, uses Fergie's name all the time. She's very warm about her. She's very affectionate about her. But when she's talking about Kate, she literally uses the name Kate once, and then it's always her and she. Right. So there is absolutely, we know now that that relationship, if it was ever good, and we don't know, is now a, a game probably never going to come back from it. But it is, it is devastating stuff. I mean, as you say, Mike, whether it's a claim or whether it is Megan's truth or whether it's the truth, until we hear something, I think, from the palace, we, we, we really don't know. But, I mean, he's pretty much... But, you know, not only has Megan thrown pretty much all the royal family under the bus, but, I mean, she's reversed over them several times yeah. just to make sure. And, I mean, Harry, for, uh, for, for someone who should know better than a jumped-up... Hollywood actress with not much of a fame and fortune to claim before she met him. To be honest, let's not let's not beat about the bush here. You know he should know better. He talks about wanting to have privacy for his family. He then um, disses his own old man, says that his dad doesn't take his calls. Then describes yeah. him and his brother as being sort of trapped in something that they yes. can't get out of. I find it extraordinary yeah. that he would talk in it, these it, terms it, and it, give it, away it. such private information considering he wants to protect his family's privacy. Well, this is this is the hypocrisy of it. And obviously, um, talking about the hypocrisy that Meghan and Harry undeniably have exhibited, they're not alone. Other members of the royal family do similar things. But, you know, they have in particular in their lectures on things and preaching about climbate change while flying in private jets, etc., right. etc. We, we know that. And I, I think... One of my main issues with this, Mike, is the timing of mm. the whole thing. Obviously, not only do we have our um, Prince Philip, 99, in hospital for two weeks now, heart condition, not a good thing. Right. But we also are in the middle of a pandemic. So for this pair of sort of like healthy, wealthy, a, a, a healthy little boy, another baby on the way, living a lifestyle most people can only dream of, to start excessively invading their own privacy and complaining about their lot when mm. people are losing their livelihoods, losing loved ones. Um, it just, the, the timing, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't make me comfortable to be no, it's, saying... It's, you're being, you're being very generous to them, Dawn, and I'll put it down to your lack of sleep. I mean, it's a disgrace. It's <laughs> as plain and simple. It is a disgrace. Harry's a grandmother, uh, the Queen of Great Britain, and Northern Ireland, right? The United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland is a fantastic woman who has shown this being International Women's Day. I mean, what sort of two different poles apart women could you have as the Queen over here, Meghan Markle over there? You know, I mean, and never the twain shall meet. I know which one uh, I'm backing and I know which one um, that we should all be backing because this is a nasty, horrid, ghastly, narcissistic exercise in money making. And it's as simple as that. I, I look. I, th I think you, you, you know, you might have a point there. Um, I, I think that Megan is nobody's fool. I think one thing everyone would agree on that you know Megan is not stupid. So throughout the whole interview, she goes to great pains to emphasise how much she likes and respects the Queen because she knows that the Queen is um, basically liked and respected around the world. You mm. can't diss the Queen and get away with it. No. But every, everybody else is fair game. Well, uh, as far as she's concerned, absolutely right. Speaking of uh, International Women's Day, Dawn, uh, you were the longest serving, I think, Fleet Street editor, uh, woman Fleet Street editor um, in the history of newspapers. 
have, have you seen um, a big change in the way that women are treated in the workplace, the way women are? I mean, you must have had some battles uh, to, to fight when you were running it. Yes, I have. And, you know, it, it's... Have things changed? Yes, I think they have changed. Um, and, you know, we all joke about the snowflake generation and not being able to stand on your own two feet. And I think there is a danger now that people are... Women in particular are are losing the ability to fight their own corner a lot of the time. It's always like there's a blame game to be played all the time. And I think to get to the top in any business, certainly in journalism, you do need to be slightly tougher than maybe people are being brought up to be now. But, you know, look, things are changing for the better, Mike. And, you know, going back to the whole royal family thing, it's interesting that women joining the royal family, not just Meghan, but we're also talking about Kate and Camilla mm. and Fergie and Diana and even Sophie Wessex. None of them were given an easy time. Whereas men joining the right family, the royal family, like Mike Tyndall, that's fine. Nothing said about him. He doesn't seem to be taken to task by either the royal family or the press. So, you know, in, on International Women's Day, it's interesting that we have Meghan Markle talking about the Queen um, and it, I, I'm just, you know, it's just a whole can of worms that's been opened with this one and I, I think it's just, as I said, the timing stinks on so many mm. levels. Do you really think, though, that the Palace can be convinced to say anything about this? Because I'm not sure they can dignify well, I think my, their way. I think, the way. I think the way that this has been handled so far, it, it doesn't look good on any, on any side, does it? And no. I think a, 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 because the accusation and the implication of racism is probably one of the worst things you can accuse anybody of these days. And I think the very fact that that is what they, Meghan and Harry, have implied, um, I think that does need to be addressed because the royals and their never complain, never explain thing, I, I think that is just not going to hold with this one. Mm. I think they do have to issue some sort of statement uh, about what exactly did happen. Mm. And certainly I would like personally to see, you know, William talk up about the relationship with his brother and maybe try and heal that rift. Because, you know, I was lucky enough to interview Diana back in the day when the boys were little. And the one thing she really loved, Mike, was the fact that the boys were there for one another. They protected one another. They looked after one another. And, you know, at some at one point in this interview, um, Harry is asked what his mother would think, and he said, "My mum would be angry." And I, you know what, Mike? I think she would be sad. I think. Yeah, I think she'd be horrified by what he's doing. I think she would. I think her heart would be broken over what has become of her two adored sons and the relationship between them now. Mm. No, I think you're absolutely right, Dawn. We'll see you tomorrow for some plankery. Uh, and I'm afraid to say that uh, Megan and Harry may well be uh, right up there at the top of the list again. Dawn Neeson, Daily Star columnist. Look out for her column on Wednesday, of course. Uh, look out for a column in Woman's Own as well. Look out for her many appearances on uh, television uh, and on talk radio as well. Susan says this, I'm not a royalist, but I think it is dreadful how this woman and her husband are bringing dishonour and disrespect to the Queen. After all, Megan was welcomed by all when she married Harry. Not only that, she actually... Uh, got married on my coin, on your coin. We all paid for it, for heaven's sake. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, if you thought Harry and Meghan uh, were pretty bad before, now, if you haven't heard any of the clips yet, and we will play a couple more of them out before the end of the show, uh, you must surely be convinced that these are two people who could not give a stuff about the royal family, 
couldn't give a stuff about her family really apart from her mother couldn't give a stuff about tradition couldn't give a stuff about britain couldn't give a stuff about anyone frankly but themselves and to be honest harry is as bad as megan let's talk to angela levin find out what she made of it all angela very good afternoon to you Hello. Now, I know you've already seen it, so you're already uh, in a better position than me because I'm going to be watching it tonight. But we've spoken an awful lot about the various bits and pieces that we know about. Um, I'm quite interested in the sort of uh, the, the, the bit where they're going to show us around their mansion because that must be quite revealing. No, they don't do that. Don't they? This is very carefully uh, choreographed, actually. Mm. And what we do see is a little sort of place where there are some hens, uh, chickens. Oh, yes. Um, with the title about that says um, Archie's Place or something similar. Yeah, chick in, isn't it? I-N-N. Yeah. And the reason they've got it is that, this sounds rather strange in itself, um, Archie has always wanted to have chickens. Always. Too. I mean, how long is always? I thought that was indicative of what I was going to hear throughout, mm. that there was masses of um, exaggeration. Well, I fear that that is what's going on, and I'm quite dismayed, and I've said this several times already today, that the reporting of this interview is reporting it as if the things that Megan have said are true. For example, this business of, you know, the colour of Archie's skin and how a member of the royal family supposedly asked about that. I just don't believe it. Well, what's interesting is that she had a tsunami of wrongdoing and allegations, but they were carefully spoken about yeah. so that you didn't know who it was or, or any other fact. It was just a wave of anguish um, and she admitted her naivety. I don't see her as naive at all. No. But she said that was the problem. Um, she knew nothing about the monarchy, she said. Um, she doesn't like looking up Google. In fact, she doesn't. And so she didn't realise what was expected of her. I was very naive, she said. However, later on in the interview, she said that she one of the ways that she was neglected was that no one taught her that she had to sing God Save the Queen, the national anthem. Mm. So, she says, I had to look it up in Google. Well, there we are. There's a total contradiction. One, two, three. Well, exactly. Really, is this a huge grievance? Can't you go to anybody in connected to the palace and say, can you spare me five, ten minutes? The fact that you hang on to this for years to make it a huge complaint and an example mm. of how neglected she was and that she wasn't looked after is quite astonishing. Well, it really is. Also, she had hot and cold running slaves. I mean, she had several nannies at any one time. She had uh, a housekeeper. She had people looking after the gardens. She had people looking after all manner uh, of things around the house in terms of cooking. She had, a, I think they took a personal chef with them to uh, Africa when she gave that famous interview about just about surviving, you know. And, you know, it's not as if she didn't have people that she could have asked if she was not too busy bullying them, presumably. Yeah, well, a, a lot of the documentary, and it is riveting. I thought I wouldn't be able to sit there for two hours. <laughs> right. Zoom by. Zoom's the wrong word. It it flashed by. Yeah. Um, you, my mouth opened almost every sentence she said. Mm. But 
what happened is, is Harry told me when I talked to him when I was writing his biography that he'd spent a lot of time talking to Megan, telling her what she can and she can't do. So he was responsible or is responsible for her knowing how it worked. Uh, the Queen gave her one of her favourite members of staff who had been with her for 17 years, mm. Samantha Cohen, um, to look after Meghan for the first year in the monarchy. And a black equerry, this is a soldier who helps the Queen in all sorts of things. He was the first black equerry. And he was given to Harry and Meghan, or Meghan in particular, to help her. Mm. Um, I'm not quite sure how many more people you need round you to tell you that life is not the same inside a English royal palace as it is in a, in a semi-detached. Right. I mean, you would think that she might have had a clue, given that that was what she set her sights on doing. But the other thing that I find extraordinary is that actually when you melt down the allegations that she's making, they don't amount to an awful lot, really, considering the amount of sort of, you know, spin, hyperbole and, you know, kind of uh, anticipation has been put. And I accept what you're saying, that it's riveting, and I'll probably be saying the same thing tomorrow because you can't quite believe what you're hearing or watching. But yeah. when you get yeah. right down to it, the actual things that she says were done to her don't exactly amount to a hill of beans, do they? Well, um, she feels that. It's quite obvious in retrospect that she was the last person who would fit in with the monarchy, not least because she really needs to do things her way. She's not a young woman like Diana, who was very innocent. Mm. Um, she wants to be a bit like her, so she kept sort of saying how naive she was, which right. she's not. No, I mean, she's once married. I mean, I was looking up what happened to her first marriage, actually, uh, this weekend, because I didn't really know. And she was with a guy who was in the film business who I think was either a writer or um, a, a sort of, uh, you know, somebody behind the scenes. Um, she knew him for four or five years. They got married just about around the time that she went into the Suits show. And she moved to Toronto, leaving him behind. Um, and their marriage lasted about two years before she moved on to some other bloke who was a celebrity chef in a restaurant yeah. in Toronto. Um, and it's thought that she might have even still been going out with him when she first met Harry. Yes, that is that is what is said. Um, her first husband, they went out together for six years. Right. So it wasn't a quick marriage like she did to Harry. But she, the way he knew, he found out about it, was that she sent her engagement and wedding ring back in an envelope. Nice. And he said he was so shocked, he felt that he'd become... a a piece of shit underneath her foot, which is um, gives you an idea. But um, Megan knows what she wants. She's in her late 30s. She's been independent and she wouldn't give in. She wouldn't compromise. She wanted it all her way. Mm. She didn't feel that it was right that she should walk, walk behind the Queen and certainly not between Kate behind Kate and William. Um, she's got no idea of, of the monarchy. So although... All these people were there to help her. It seems it went in one ear and out right. the other. And also, what was Harry telling her? Because presumably he would have been in a position to give her that briefing, if you like, to say, look, this yeah. is what it's going to mean. I mean, if I was Harry uh, and I was going out with a woman who wanted to marry me, I would say, look, do you know what this entails? Do you know that this will mean that you'll have to behave this way, that you'll have certain engagements that you'll have to do, that, you know, you won't be able to be yourself. You will have to be somebody who's constantly now under the scrutiny of the public gaze. 
And surely you would then say to her, if that's what you're willing to do and you're able to do, then let's do it. But otherwise, you might want to think again. Yeah, well, exactly. But she was so thrilled at the chance of marrying him and having a title mm. and money and fame uh, and all the rest of it that um, she didn't listen. Yes. She just he told me that he'd told her and he was especially careful to do that because mm. other girlfriends had dropped him because they didn't want the spotlight. Right. Well, exactly. And the other thing, I mean, they talk about the money quite a lot, I understand. So so he makes out that he was told that there was no money, uh, basically, in the uh, in the royal family for her, which is absolutely right. But he also has a £30 million trust fund. So for him to kind of say, oh, um, you know, I was cut off from all the money. Really? £30 million quid. Yeah, this has happened when they moved to Canada after they'd walked out in um, March 2020 and their uh, protection officers were stopped. Prince Charles stopped um, paying for them because yeah. they were then out of the monarchy. And Harry seemed very petulant when he said, you know, he stopped my money, yeah. you know, he absolutely stopped. Luckily, I had the 30 million. <laughs> yes, luckily. Very fortunate. Uh, I mean, but you think, goodness me, you're 36. I know. It's well, I said this. I mean, I was laughing when they did the when they did that other interview where they uh, well they did a podcast or something in which he said, you know, we're hoping to become financially independent soon. And you go, well, sorry, most of us had to become financially independent uh, when we were in our teenage years rather than when we were 36. What I felt showed very much was Harry had really needed his advisors. He might have got very snappy with them. I often heard that he had. He didn't like to get up in mm. the morning um, and he liked his engagements to be done uh, in the afternoon. Um, but he really needed it to protect him. I mean, he is self-destructive in many ways. Mm. And I think Megan is too. That was a surprise that you don't build yourself up to actually kill it all off by being um, so demanding yeah. or so spiteful or so undignified. Yes. And I suppose two questions really now for you, Angela. One, what does the palace do about this? Because some people are saying that they need to respond in some way. I'm not sure they will. What do you think? Well, I think they do need to respond when somebody who doesn't know about royal life comes into the royal family. It won't be for a while now, mm. but I do think they can be so stunned by it. And the fact that they aren't a cosy little family that, you know, welcome you and with cuddles and, and kisses and all that sort of um, mm. thing. They, they do need to make sure that they do understand what's going on, regardless of the person who brings them in. I think that's important. I mean, Megan said several times that she wanted to die and she thought she would kill herself and one night she was supposed to be uh, at, at an, an event and she harry said if you don't feel well stay at home she said i'm scared of being by myself now whatever that exaggeration that might be it mm. is a very serious thing when somebody gets so depressed and they do need a bit of rethink on that one otherwise i think um Prince Harry and Meghan's influence will fade increasingly now. They're so far away mm. and don't seem to be at all in touch with the UK. What we've been through, the loss people have had, loved ones died from the pandemic, um, lost jobs. Um, and I think that their influence will um, 
goes slowly away. Yes. Well, given that they've now said all this, I mean, there's not much else that they can say because she talks an awful lot about having a voice, but she doesn't actually have anything to say. You know, she's now told the story of what life was like and how terrible it all was, and we can all make a judgment on that. But, I mean, what's the next interview going to be about? Their new kind of, you know, idea about saving children in Ethiopia or something? No, well, what what Megan's plan is to uh, bring compassion to the world. Of course. Many thanks. Hang on. (laughs) Can't wait. Because actually, you you it, it's a nonsense, isn't it? If you don't, you've fallen out with both families, right. and um, you have this thing of just dropping friends when you don't need them. Yeah, surely compassion should start naturally from there. And she wants to set an example for what is right and what is good. That's really? what she's okay. And she'll be hanging on about that. But actually, whether you can believe her, uh, maybe Americans can, but I think we Brits are a bit more. Um, no, I think she has an audience, no question, but they're the kind of wokists of the world who yeah. want to all sit around talking about, you know, how wonderful it all is to have uh, your truth and your voice and, you know, uh, your innovation plan and all these kinds of nonsensical uh, phrases that get trotted out uh, by these kind of self-help type people, you know. But most yeah. normal, hard-working people, men and women of both sides of the Atlantic, haven't got time for any of this nonsense. Yes. Well, it's not all about just saying what you're going to do and telling others what to do. It's about doing. And we saw that yesterday with the Commonwealth Day. Yeah. You know, the other senior royals were showing duty. They were thanking everybody else. Yeah. It wasn't about them. It was about the Commonwealth altogether. So um, there's a sense of duty that you do because you are part of this amazing royal family that you don't do it, um, you don't just tell everybody else what to do. No, exactly right. And also, I mean, the point about um, what you're all, what you're sort of bringing to the party, if you like, I mean, as far as the, the, the bullying claims are concerned, presumably that will have to come out in some way, shape or form. How do you think they're going to handle that at the palace? Well, this is difficult. Um, Megan chose her words very carefully so that the bullying was very general. There were no facts, Mm. no detail, and no hint of whether it was a senior royal, a very junior, new um, worker, or somebody in between. And I think that's absolutely disgraceful Mm. because you're smearing the whole family for perhaps one or two people. And you can look at everyone thinking, was it this person who said what colour his skin would be? And I think that's pretty unpleasant oh it's very unpleasant and she knows precisely what she's doing and by not naming them it's actually worse but i I was actually referring to the people she's been accused of bullying the ones who have come Ah, forward and are currently being investigated by the palace now yes well they will take this forward now that the um palace think that there needs to be an investigation jolly late Mm. the point is those men in gray suits who are actually women who are attractive young women um did it to help Meghan to protect her because they everyone wanted Harry to be happy. And mm. they thought if they kept Meghan happy at the cost of other staff members' um, livelihood, uh, they would um, succeed in, in, in keeping Harry happy too. And that's a very good thought, but it's not relevant when somebody is being so appalling, yeah. uh, so appalling right and what about his relationships with William and Charles because he made a big point of saying that uh, Charles doesn't take his calls which I think is a pretty private 
uh, piece of information that he seems to be now willing to share with the world. Um, and he more or less accused his brother, William, of being sort of trapped in a situation he didn't want to be in. Yes, well, Meghan has told Harry that he was trapped. He said that he hadn't realised it. All these years, mm. he hadn't realised it. But once she told him, he realised that he had been trapped in this awful royal family. And so he used <coughs> the same language for William. But, <coughs> sorry, I've been up all night. I don't blame you. I'd have been on the white wine by now. And But what's interesting is that... Um, Megan was very rude about Kate, very rude. And yeah. I think um, William would be furious about that. I mean, she's our future queen consort. Yes, of course. Doesn't say exactly what happened, but she said, um, I didn't make Kate cry just before the wedding over the argument with the bridesmaids dresses. She made me cry, but she, I don't want to say what it is. No. But did bring round flowers, and I have chosen to forgive her. Oh, my goodness. I mean, no. really, past the sick bag, honestly. I mean, it's a bit like somebody that you would have uh, in a workplace sort of, uh, a sort of, shall we say, disagreement, giving their side of the story. But actually, the more you listen to it, the less convincing it is, because there's no yeah. facts, there's no timings, there's no specifics. You know, they're just basically kind of lashing out because they feel like that will do damage. Because there's no question that, in my mind, she wants to damage the royal family because that's yes. how much of a narcissist she is. I agree with you. It's quite interesting because each of these uh, accusations that came out, um, I sort of gasped. I couldn't believe it, it was one after mm. the other. But when, um, at five o'clock this morning, I started rethinking them through, I realised they were all full of holes. Yeah. Yeah, so, and I mean, any, any decent interviewer who was not Oprah Winfrey would have made those holes much bigger and would have poked um, a, a stick through them uh, and then yeah. driven a coach and horses through them afterwards. It was very interesting for an interviewer like me and maybe one like you to see how other interviewers work. Megan was very kind. She was very understanding, yeah. very loving. She got the odd question in, but she would ask, well, can you be a bit more clear about who this was? Mm. And Megan danced away, verbally danced away, and she left it. It was a gentle conversation in which Megan uh, got rid of a load of stuff. Well, she, yeah, I mean, she basically controlled it, clearly, um, and was never put on the spot at all. Um, well, she's going to make, um, Oprah's going to make seven to nine million yeah. pounds out Yeah, well, lucky old Oprah. Well, but guess me. what? That won't even touch the sides in Oprah's bank account because this is a billionaire we're talking about here. Yeah. I put out a tweet this morning saying, you know, billionaire interviews two millionaires about their struggle because that's what we're yeah. talking about here. It's laughable. Yes, yes, particularly when the state of the world is in such turmoil. Exactly. Exactly. Unbelievable stuff. Angela, a delight as ever. Thank you very much indeed. And thank you for staying up all night. You can go to sleep now if you wish. Uh, Angela Levin, Royal Biographer. I mean, this is going to be 24-7, I think, for the next 24 hours at least, because, of course, the real interview goes out tonight. ITV, 9pm. It's on ITV Hub, courtesy of Harpo Productions and CBS. The great thing about um, these people is that, you know, you can only use any of the clips from ITV as long as you credit Oprah Winfrey's production company, right? And so it's not so much that they are unwilling to pass on their private notes and private thoughts to us, 
but they want to make sure we credit the production company. What does that tell you? Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.